Every family has a member that holds the group together. Allison was the glue of our church staff family home. And she is irreplaceable. She made our office, for me personally, a home away from home. And we've been relatively unscathed by 2020. I am so done with this year. But as a church family, we've, we've been relatively unscathed by the heartache that we see across our land, the, this raging pandemic and the economic turmoil and the social unrest and don't even get us started talking about the election and the shutdowns. But we've hung in there. Our last series, we called it Built to Last. And we were committed to serving you and our community with a smile. But now, today, with Allison's passing to glory, and she's dancing in heaven, and as Joe said in his letter to the congregation, she is more alive today than ever. But now we're, we're left heartbroken and hurting. And so I thank the Lord for his message of hope today, a message that I prepared some time ago to preach on and felt this was right, this is what God would have for us and how true that is and how thankful for all of you here and all of you at home who've expressed your love that we know this still is very much home for us. There's something about being home that just feels right you know, safety and the comfort of home. And, and this Christmas will be like no other Christmas. We're going to make choices to stay home instead of travel to see family. And family will most likely stay away for their own sake, for our sake, for our community's sake. That's just the way it is. We have that choice, don't we, to, to make that choice for the safety of everyone. We can choose not to leave our home. But many people don't have that choice. When people are are forced to leave their home and go and live in a foreign land, in a place that's unfamiliar to them, that's called going into exile. In exile, everything is in turmoil. The irreplaceable is dashed. Everything is lost and unhinged. The love and safety of Home is shattered and hearts are broken. In exile, there is disorientation and exiles are left with only discouragement and depression. And in the story of the Bible, this is where we find the ancient Israelites in exile. In Babylon, carried off to a foreign land, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. And they're far away from their homeland. And they're asking the question, how do we wind up here? And is there any hope of going home? So we're going to be looking at the book of the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah was charged with a very difficult message. His first message that he was meant to give to the people was a message of judgment. And then a message of hope. The message of judgment 
39 chapters, chapter 1 to 39, is just a message of judgment. Isaiah was sent by God. Imagine this, here I am, Lord, it is I, Lord. You know that, you know that old hymn, chapter 6? Yeah, here, here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, bring down the hammer on my people because they are so wayward. And that's exactly what we see in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Yeah, you can find moments. There's a couple of verses. You might be able to cherry pick a a happy verse, a hopeful verse in those first 39 chapters. But there is a lot of doom and gloom. And Isaiah, the prophet, accuses Israel's leaders of rebelling against God. And he accuses God's people of putting their trust in secular rulers instead of trusting in their covenant God, Yahweh. He accuses them, saying, you people of Israel are greedy. You are exploiters of the poor. You are neglecters of the needy. He prophesied that through Assyria and Babylon, Israel's kingdom would come crashing down as an act of God's judgment. Now, that's not what Isaiah wanted to deliver. He he wanted to deliver a message of hope, of of a way for a a new Jerusalem populated by faithful covenant people and, and the hope of one day God's kingdom being restored by a future messianic king that would come and rule over his people and over all nations bringing peace. But for 39 chapters, I'm telling you, there is just doom and gloom. And then there is a final word of warning to King Hezekiah. The end of chapter 39 Isaiah is looking at the king and says, it's going to happen. Jerusalem will fall. We don't know what happened between chapter 39 and 40. There's lots of schools of thought. One is that there are disciples of Isaiah that pick up much later on. Or maybe there's some kind of Rip Van Winkle sort of thing happening because you get to chapter 40, a moment later, and we've leaped into the future 150 years. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And the people are in exile. And Isaiah receives a new message from God. And it's a message of hope for his people who are in exile, who feel disoriented and discouraged and depressed. It's one of the most moving chapters in the whole Bible. And this Christmas and today, we need hope more than ever. Amen? God speaks to his exiled people and he promises to bring them all the way home. Look with me at the text, chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. It'll be on the screen. It'll be hopefully in your lap, on your device or your Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Nahakmu, Nahakmu, Ami, comfort, comfort my people. 
What a relief for Isaiah to finally be able to deliver this message. The book of Lamentations, written to address the grief and despair of, of Jerusalem after its destruction of Babylon, there it says, Lamentations 1-2, it says, she, referring to Jerusalem, she has none to comfort her. And yet here in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. My people. The people to be comforted, Isaiah is told to communicate, are God's people. God chose them. God covenanted to them. It began with Abram in Genesis 12. As far off and as disoriented as they are, this is their true identity. This is who they must remember that they are. That Abram's descendants would become God's people, and they continue to be God's people. They would be one day a blessing to the nations, even as they are being punished for their sins. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Folks, remember, this is poetry. I ain't no poet, but this is poetic prophecy here. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So just imagine the the image of what that brings to mind. Because we don't want to over-personify God, because God is, is above any understanding in our words, except for what's revealed in Scripture. But it's as if the Lord God is wooing his loved one back to himself. Comfort, that word comfort, it's such a, a warm, kind of fuzzy word, isn't it? Warm fuzzies that we have, maybe you have a Hallmark commercial or those Hallmark channels with all those warm, fuzzy, comforting uh, stories at Christmas time. But that's very misleading in, in the English, in the Hebrew, and in the Latin, and in the King James Version. Comfort is really meaning come forth. It means to strengthen it means to encourage. It'd be like, come on. God says, encourage my people in such a discouraging time. Look, they weren't stuck in one year of exile like we are. They were stuck there for 70 years. Isaiah, go and comfort my people. For what? That the warfare is over. Some translations, well, it says hard service. Some translations talk about warfare. Their hard service is over. Their warfare is done. It means that they've done their time. But the consequences of their rebellion are over, and the Lord God has done something that only he can do, and he's now going to make it right. He is going to forgive them, and he's going to come to them, and he's going to save them. That's the message, Isaiah, that you get to deliver. Lord, their God, allow them to suffer in order to restore them to their former status as God's chosen people. They never ceased being God's chosen people, but they forgot. They moved on. Started to follow other little gods. But they compromised so much and had suffered so much. Yahweh punishes their sin But his purpose and punishment was not to make them suffer, but to make them restored, to redeem them one day. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now, again, we don't want to take this necessarily literally. There's poetic license here. But they have paid a great price, a debt for their sin. We know 
Uh, the debt of sin, the separation between ourselves and God is, is so infinitely great that, that no price that we could pay ourselves could be uh, enough. But here Isaiah is speaking this word to them. Remember, this is the old covenant, folks. Sins were paid by the people, by the sacrifice. We're now new covenant people. By the finished work of Christ on the cross, we are redeemed. Amen? Now that's our hope. The only reason, though, they can hear this word of comfort and encouragement is because of what God has said to them through his prophet. It's so sad when people double their heart service, when they're at, at war with God and within themselves, in their own denial. There are some people by their own choices, are in exile. Where's God? Where's God in my life? He hasn't moved. You've moved far from him. Say, Pastor P, I believe you just said Jesus paid for my sin. I told you I believe that. Why don't I feel God in my life? Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them that they might hear. Now we get to verse 3. Look at verse 3 and following. These words will sound very familiar to us because Isaiah chapter 40 is quoted in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And I noticed this. I always thought it was a voice of one calling in the wilderness, pause, prepare the way. Because John, we know it's going to be John the Baptist. Wasn't he like a mountain man? He ate honey and grubs or something like that. Out in the wilderness, he's calling to the people in the city. Like, no, no, no. A voice to those who are in the wilderness, far from home. Prepare the way of the Lord. The prophet announces the Lord himself is coming. The king himself is coming. We have to get ready. We got to clear the way so that he can come in all of his majesty and all of his glory. And so every obstacle in the way must be removed. Valleys filled in, mountains and hills need to be dug up. Every crooked place made straight, every rough place made smooth. Think about what they're saying. This problem wouldn't be the same everywhere. Some places there'd be a low place that need to be filled in. And mind you, this is ancient times. They don't have Paul Kemp with a with big machinery to move dirt around, right? Like, oh, we want to build a new church. Let's just dig a mountain and put a big sanctuary. And Like, this is all done by hand. Other places, there'd be a big hill or mountain in the way. Well, we can go around it or we can try to go through it. What are they talking, what is he talking about here? Is he referring to building a highway? We're talking about Highway 18? Are we talking about Snoqualmie Pass? What are we talking about? We're talking about our heart. The wilderness of our hearts. This is a prophetic and poetic metaphor for spiritual obstacles that stand in the way of God returning exiles all the way home. It's It's the obstacle of sin, it's dirt, it's lack of faith. All that must be removed, their pride has to be brought down a notch or two or maybe three or four, so that the Lord can come, take them, and bring them by the hand to where they will be safe. The prophet is saying, 
people prepare for the king. Clear cut the wilderness of your hearts. Friends, those of you who live in this, in this area of this valley, if you're watching at home, you don't know how, how filled with trees this area is. Can we please just not cut down any more trees in Maple Valley and the surrounding area? Can we just do that? Let's just, the trees we have, let's just hold on to the ones we've got. But here, he's saying clear cut. Cut it all out. Make room for the king. Verse 5, this is why. So that the, so that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord, of Yahweh, will be revealed. The kabod, the, according to scripture, this is the majesty of God. This is the, the awe-inspiring working of God. It's, it's beyond descriptions beyond knowing and wonder. And as human beings, we're just not engineered to even be in the presence or even to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. It'd be like grabbing onto a, a live electrical wire. We're just not designed that way. And yet, here it is in God's word, from his mouth, through his prophet, the people, all the people, will see the glory of the Lord one day when he comes. How can we know that for sure? Because he says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken this word. What are we to make of this word spoken and written down 700 years before the first Christmas? Five points. Number one, God's deepest intention toward you is comfort. I don't know how things get so sideways with how the beautiful word of God's gospel gets twisted and strained in our ears, but God's intention, people, is comfort. This whole chapter, we're going to learn a lot about the Lord our God. The Lord is good. We're just saying about that. He's a God of light. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. His love is steadfast. His covenant faithfulness endures forever. How how long? Forever. How can we doubt? He's faithful even when we are faithful. Scripture says, because he cannot deny his own nature. God is that faithful. If you're not hearing, it's not because God's not speaking. This has been... Someone asked me last night how difficult is this season, this past few days, in ministry of 20 years. And this is perhaps one of the most difficult ever. The Lord speaking tenderly gave me this word, Psalm 34, 18. And this is one to write down. This is one to write in encouragement notes. I know so many of you want to know how can we love on our staff and our students and on, on one another. Psalm 34, 18 and 19. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. God wants comfort for you. Number two, the people wound up in exile far from home because of their sin. And exile is the human condition. Our first parents, because of their sin, were exiled from the garden. They went east 
of Eden. And then Cain, their son who committed murder, went even further east. Then the people sinned again, and they were sent into exile to Egypt for 400 years. Did they learn their lesson 400 years? Was that? No. You, you need to learn it again? Okay, 70 years in Babylon. Exile is part of the human condition. And listen, you can be right at home right now where you're watching and feel like an exile. You can feel right now out of place in your own family. Depressed, lonely, disjointed, hopeless. What are the stories we're hearing in our congregation? What are you sharing with one another in small group? That everything is upside down. Things just don't taste good anymore. We're experiencing exile, my people. Beloved, this is exactly where the gospel comes in. That that sense of insecurity inside of you, it's first and foremost spiritual in nature. It's sometimes an exile of our own choosing, but God so loved. Jesus, here's the gospel, he pulled the hard duty and service. He paid more than double. His offering was priceless for our sin. And not to get political, we don't want to get there, heaven forbid, right? But the greatest vaccine in the pandemic that this world is infected by, the spiritual pandemic of sin and separation from God, is the blood of Christ. And it's priceless, but it's free, freely offered to you for you to choose. The people wind up in exile by their own choice. But God so loved the world. Number four, or three. Verses three to five has a direct fulfillment in the New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I mentioned, we could, we could sit here all day and talk about hundreds, some 600 more prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of all of his ministry. But, but this one is such a powerful one. We know this one. In the wilderness, one cried out, prepare the way of the Lord. And who was that? John the Baptist, that's right. His his dad doubted it, so he had to kind of shut his mouth. The angel shut his mouth for uh, for the other eight and a half months. But then when he opened his mouth and he saw and he knew that God was especially going to work in and through his son to prepare the way for that fulfillment of all that great promise of the coming Messiah, he says this in Luke 1, 76, quote, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then Elizabeth, Elizabeth the mom, she goes to visit her, uh, her cousin Mary. They're both pregnant. They're in the same room together. Mary carrying Jesus, Elizabeth, Elizabeth carrying John. And what does scripture says? It says, John, this preborn baby, leaps for joy in his mother's womb because he's like, that's what I'm here for. Wait, let's I don't know how he communicated, like, but, and, and then John is born, and he grows, and then he's sent out, and he is John the Baptist, preparing the way, calling the people to repentance. But when Jesus comes to be baptized, what does he say? I'm not even worthy. I can't even touch the laces of your, of your sandal. Jesus is bringing the good news of a new covenant 
Let me read to you John chapter 1, these beautiful words of Advent and of hope that bring all this together, bring the Bible to life from the book of Isaiah to the book of John that shows you this is one complete story. It's not all separated and dashed. It all is one story. And I want to read to you, let's just go for it, the King James Version, because that's, that's just got to be the best, right? Here it is. John 1, 6 to 13 in the King James. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a, for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to the light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, referring to Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was in exile in his own home. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Isaiah, and then John, the message for God's people, prepare the way of the Lord. And so here's my point. Friends, you must remember and keep this in mind right now. It's so important to prepare. That's what this season of Advent is all about. And so I want to ask you this question and asking you at home. What obstacles are in your life that are keeping you from more God more love, and more life? What crooked ways need to be straightened? What down, sad places in your thinking and feeling and outlook need to rise? What puffed up high and mighty places of pride in your life need to be laid low? What rough spot needs to be smoothed out? I encourage you to name it. And we're all family. You're with your family. Be bold enough to share what that is with someone. And sometimes we get so fixated on blaming someone else. Like, they're, they're the problem. This is what needs to be removed from my life. It's, it's this tree. This tree, it's got a name. I'll carve it with a big bowie knife. The name of the person, they're the problem, or this is the problem, or whatever it is. And we don't see the forest from the trees. We need to step back and see the work that God needs to do in us. What is that for you? This Advent season is a time to prepare, to experience the true hope, peace, and joy, and love, to truly fill your home. The question is, how will you prepare? Prayer is a good place to start. Being in God's word is a good place to be. Feeling the need for a savior. Some of us are, are just thinking about there's just something missing. What, what is it, Lord, that's prompting you? It prompts us to pray. That's what we fill it with. We fill it with prayer. That's a good place to go to prepare. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. We can sometimes do poor decisions of filling that need, can't we? This morning, for breakfast, I had half a, half a pie. 
that, that was delicious, Mom. But that's just a coping mechanism, isn't it? What should we fill that need for, that emptiness, that sense of disconnect? We fill it with the Lord our God, with his word. Then you'll know that you're preparing for Christmas at home when you are following the way of Jesus, when you're walking that smooth highway path. What is that path? It's a path of comforting other people, encouraging other people, and forgiving other people. You'll know you're on the right path. I'll tell you what, if between now and the 25th, you know that you have been used by God to bring comfort, a word of encouragement, that you've settled things with people. You've just... Please forgive me and I forgive you. Let's work this out. That is the way of Jesus. Sometimes God's preparation in us, the backfilling, the digging up of dirt, the knocking down of hills and mountains of our life, the restoration. Hey, I see Paul right there. We're talking about, we'll talk about this after. Um, Lost my my thought. Sometimes, I thought I saw Paul Kemp, but I didn't. I, I saw Tom. Sometimes God's preparation in us uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cut that on in uh, post-production. Uh, sometimes God's preparation in us, that backfilling, that digging of dirt, that knocking down of hills in our life, that restoration, sometimes it makes us feel like he's hurting us. Like, why are you taking these things, God, for my life? Why are you disrupting things so much? It feels like you're hurting me. He's actually saving us. If that's you, it's my prayer for you that this time of preparation, you will see God's glory. You'll wake up tomorrow. You'll wake up Christmas Day. You'll feel lighter. You'll feel more safe, more home, more sure that you're in the right place because God's present in your life. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Final point. I get to deliver this message all month. It's a message that that I need as much as you need. I think that you definitely need from home too. A message of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. The Lord is the Lord of comfort. It was as true on the eve of the people's departure from Babylon when divine intervention through King Cyrus saved the people, the king of Persia rescued and freed the Jewish captives, allowing them to return home in 539 BC. It was as true on the eve and the first Christmas and the announcement there and the movement of John the Baptist and the bringing forth of the Messiah the first time around. And it's true today as we await his return, the second advent. I'd like to invite Rob and Jess to come and prepare to sing our closing song. Last question, how do we know this Christmas that this hope is true? Because he said so. Because God has spoken, and he will accomplish his purpose. He will comfort the lonely. He will come near the brokenhearted and hurting. He will strengthen us. He will lift up the depressed and he will flatten the proud. He will smooth out troubled places in our minds, hearts, and souls, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Lord God, we need your comfort. We need your hope confirmed in us. We need, God, those places in our lives to be named and to be dealt with, to be removed, to be lowered and to be lifted up and to be straightened. And God, we need to get right with one another and with you, Lord, to make every day we have on this earth count. We love you, Lord. We pray your ministry of protection and blessing over all who hear this word. In Jesus' name, amen.